the lie that poetry tells is constant as the truth itself. Without the lies and the false beliefs, where would we be? Where would we be? Welcome to the State of the Theory podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm an India. And we are your theory doctors. Welcome back. Hello. This feels strange. It does. It's been a long time. It's a bit nostalgic. (laughs) Oh, good old days of state of the theory. Good old days. They are the olden days. Apologies for our long absence. The world got far too depressing. I think that, yeah, there's a combination of our jobs got really hectic around the same time that the news got too much to bear. Yeah. Hopefully we're back. And hopefully yeah. we'll carry on doing more episodes. What what brought us back? <laughs> what raised us from the dead? The wonderful human being that is Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein. We couldn't resist not doing a podcast episode about Harvey Weinstein. So who is Harvey Weinstein? Harvey Weinstein is a film producer. Um, if if your guilty pleasure is celebrity gossip, like it is mine, you will have spent the last kind of ten years reading internet stories about about um, famous actors, famous actresses, and their relationship to Harvey Weinstein, who is a film producer. He is a co-board member of his production company that he co-owns with his brother Bob and a couple other men two other men and Harvey Weinstein is very famous for producing a lot of um, very popular and successful films in the 90s and early 2000s Um, my personal like least favorite is uh, Shakespeare in Love which is a movie I... That work of genius. I love to hate that movie. Written by Tom Stoppard, actually, a genius. But uh, it, Weinstein is is famous, was famous for making the careers of a huge number of people, particularly now the kind of Hollywood elite and the royalty that, that have kind of been sitting in positions of power for 10 to 15 years. These are now actors who are in their 30s, 40s, and 50s. Um, he's he's a, a really kind of uh, prominent figure in the industry. Everyone talks about how Harvey Weinstein throws lots of money at the Oscars, for example. So he's instrumental in kind of creating buzz and hype around certain people that he kind of like picks to be his kind of little darlings, basically. And he's... Um, obviously super rich which is the most important thing yes and why why are we talking about him well well, everyone i'm sure our audience a self-selecting crowd i'm sure know why we're talking about him but we're talking about him because of uh recent allegations of sexual misconduct and inappropriate behavior and this originally broke as a new york times article a couple of weeks ago um the original new york times article talks about eight women who have come forward on the record to talk about specific allegations of abuse. Um, 
he his tactics were quite diverse uh, allegedly he used any number of kind of methods uh, allegedly um, some of the stories are bizarre and distressing and gross and f funny in a gross awful way um, and it's just been all over the news. And there's, you know, there's a whole host of different w things to talk about here to do with power and celebrity and fame and money and all of those things. Um, and we'll get to get to a lot of those uh, in, in due course. But one of the things I wanted to talk about specifically is to think a little bit about the the trajectory that stories like these take in the media where it seems to me that you go from this stories like this being an open secret where everybody knows but no one talks about it and uh, successive women try to make accusations in various ways and get silenced and rebuffed and turned back uh, until there, there comes a sort of tipping point where it, the, the system goes from completely silencing the the accusations to completely individualizing the problem. So Harvey Weinstein, for example, goes from being perfectly nice, perfectly nice, perfectly nice through to uh, aberration, demon, disgusting, distasteful human being. Monster. Monster. He's been referred to as a monster. Who, who can then be... And I'm, I'm not saying he isn't any of those things. What I'm saying is that that then allows the system to go, well, we've dealt, dealt with that problem and now we can move on. And Yeah, we're going to send him outside the city gates yes. to, yeah. to die, be eaten by wolves. He's yeah. he's an outcast. And, and, and therefore there's nothing else that we need to do to think about how we act and what we do. Yeah, there's nothing in here about the structure. Yeah. Of how how yeah. a production company yes. works, or how a talent agency functions, yes. or how casting happens yes. within those yeah. institutional structures. And I guess one of the things that's uh, sort of intellectually interesting to me is what causes that tipping point, what causes that change, because it isn't necessarily easy to identify. I don't think. I don't think it's necessarily anything to do with. A simple number of women coming forward, though that is part of it. Well, no, because you have, for example, with, um, is it Bill Cosby, the New York cover image yes. um, of all the women yeah. um, who have accused Bill Cosby yes. yeah. of sexual assault um, with the empty chair. Yes. That is Bill Cosby, that right? Is, yes. Um, the, you know, that's a really powerful yeah. image. It was designed to go viral, yeah. but it doesn't do yeah. what this New York Times article has done yeah. to Harvey Weinstein. Yes. Um, I think part of it is, uh, and I think this happens to Weinstein and definitely to someone like Cosby, which is, this is it, it sort of, you have to wait until the, the, the star power of the individual man is on the way. So the idea is that Weinstein isn't as powerful in Hollywood as he once was. Cosby isn't as influential and powerful a celebrity as he once was. And therefore it becomes easier to 
to challenge them and and, and dismantle their their position. Um, but again, that's not the whole story either because, and we can never do an episode. It seems like without mentioning this human being, uh, but Trump. It didn't happen with Trump. He was at, you know. No, and is that was, because his star power wasn't waning? Is that because he was on a kind of ascendancy? Yeah. yeah. A kind of a, an inadvertent, accidental, really disturbing rise yeah. in popularity. We yeah. talked too about how he, around the time that Trump's. Um, Access Hollywood, Access Hollywood tape, yes. bus yes. tape with Billy Bush yes. w- went public that he he wasn't in a position that he could be removed from, if that makes sense. Whereas Weinstein hold, held yes. a, a board seat and w- was in a job that he could be v- removed from fairly easily if the pressure was great enough on other the other board members to do so because sorry go on but then yeah. where trump trump couldn't really be removed at that point yes. he was he either had to be unvoted yes in like voted off the island or remove himself from the campaign yeah. and there was those two things didn't yeah didn't happen um i'm just remembering this vaguely but it, Billy Bush was removed, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. And I, I wonder if that is a statement about the waning star power and that Billy Bush just never had as um, influential, powerful a position. Yeah, or at the time he he was he was deemed expendable. Whereas, and, and Harvey Weinstein yeah. at this point was deemed expendable yeah. in a way that... Trump wasn't. Yes. I mean, everyone sort of said, you know, the the public won't vote for yeah. a guy who clearly has absolutely no morals and is a criminal. Yeah. Uh, but they did. Yes. And Trump had a sort of different position. But I think part of it was that his star power was on the rise at the time. Mm-hmm. That he, mm-hmm. he was saying things that made himself seem valuable to people. Mm. He presented himself in a way that made people think that he could do something for them. And Harvey Weinstein, for a long time, had that kind of power. He could make people's careers or break people's careers. And so for those men, for example, Quentin Tarantino has come out and said, I could have done more. Um, Colin Firth has come out and said... He's a very scary guy. He's really, really powerful. The, the people around him who weren't necessarily subject to the abuse but knew about it, at the time, it wasn't expedient for them yeah. to say anything. Yes, and, and now they, can, they, have, they feel the freedom to come out and say this now because Weinstein is no, in, no longer in a position to help break their career. Yeah, and I don't think, I mean, I, I'm really cynical, despite my mm. love of, of Hollywood gossip. Uh, I'm really cynical about it. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that any of these people are, are good people or that, well, that they should be. But I do take Quentin Tarantino at his weird word when he says, mm. I feel guilty about it now. Yeah. You know, I'm sure he does. Because, because 
if if we are judging by Weinstein's ability to make or break careers, then it seems to me that Tarantino has achieved a status in his career maybe 20 years ago. That means he no longer relies on Weinstein's patronage, if he ever did. Yeah. And I think you can make the same case for Colin Firth. Yeah. So it, it sort of it doesn't explain the whole thing. It, it, it is politically, according to the media narrative, expedient for them to come out and say and, and sort of express regret now. And I'm sure the regret is genuine. I, there's no reason to think that it isn't. But there is genuine reason for them to feel guilty. Yeah, we'll come back to this. Yes. Um, just a, a spoiler alert. This is the first part of a two-part episode because we just can't talk about <laughs> abuse and harassment enough. It just it warms the cockles it of our heart. It does, doesn't it? In our next episode, we'll talk a bit more about our own industry. Um, and I would imagine you speak from a little bit of personal experience when you talk about being a man reading about all of this. Yeah, so I guess um, one of the ways in which the Weinstein story has been dealt with has been on social media, obviously. And I'm thinking particularly about the Me Too. Yes. Hashtag Me Too campaign, um, which has caused really interesting discussion debate on my social media timeline. Mine too. Um, What has your debate looked like? Um, I have a lot of feminist friends, as you can imagine, and the debate has been not so much debate, but a kind of sharing of mutual respect for those who choose to share their stories and an outpouring of kind of support for people who choose not to. And those have worked in a complimentary fashion Mm. rather than as a debate. I've never, so I've seen... Um, a number of friends share very personal stories, but also yeah. it's come at an interesting time. So a number of my friends have started sharing very personal stories in the last year or so. Yeah. And this, which I think taps into some of why the media was ready and why social media in particular was ready for uh, what's happened with this story from the New York Times. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of my friends have started sharing very personal stories about their lives and and talking about how that has motivated them to make career changes or to um, start focusing on certain kinds of advocacy or to start writing in a more formal capacity or to um, do different kinds of work. They're shifting their focus because of experiences of yeah. abuse and harassment. And, and the stories are very painful to read, but I think often what I see are comments of support Mm. and also comments of solidarity. And so when Me Too happened, there is this debate about, you know, does it force victims to share? Are we focusing too much on victim stories? But that's already happening. Yes. What the hashtag does is it aggregates all those stories. And so it shows us at scale Mm. what's happened, which is the point of the hashtag. But that debate has already been happening in my very feminist world. Mm. And my feminist world cuts across class, it cuts across race, um, it certainly cuts across nationality. Mm. Um, and so it, it, it's one piece of a kind of yeah. bigger yeah. discussion that's been happening among women about mm. victimization yeah. and um, surviving abuse and yeah. assault. And so it, for me, it's been a kind of 
I do have a very feminist, mm. woman-centric news feed, I think. Mm. But for me, it's really been... This is a, a, a portion yeah. of a much fuller mm. debate mm. that, for the most part, hasn't been acrimonious at all. Yeah. Um, it's like this is... But as you say, it feels like a tipping point. It, yeah. And it kind of feels like a tip of the iceberg, but we've all been seeing the whole yeah. iceberg. Yeah. and. It's interesting now that men are starting to weigh in. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think, is the biggest difference that I've seen with yeah. Me Too, is now yeah. men are starting to write think pieces and blog yeah. posts, and yeah. they're starting to say things like, what do men, what's a man to do in yeah. the age of hashtag Me Too? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, finally. I, th- I think that, so, I think in, in many ways, my, my social media timeline is, newsfeed is probably not all that different from yours. Um, Similarly, you know, feminist, left-leaning, politically committed, uh, all of those things. Uh, The things I've noticed have been uh, comments about the emotional labor that is involved in the hashtag MeToo campaign, that it it returns and falls back onto the victim again. Um, the, The recognition that there is something problematic in demanding of a victim that she shares her story for anything to be done about it, even though it is pretty clear that the hashtag media campaign is not going to lead to material, practical... No, no one's going to prison no, over me Exactly. Um, and the other, the other half of the story, which I have much more mixed feelings about, has been... Um, what about male victims of sexual abuse? Yes. Um, and men sort of saying this is this is about this isn't about gender. This isn't about men versus women. This is about sexual abuse, and I too have suffered that yeah. thing. Um, and I have has had much more mixed feelings about that because there is a, a sort of colonial takeover. Mm. You know, I offer off what the hashtag is doing. Yeah, or should, was doing derails. Yes. What is interesting? You mentioned that the the counterpoint I would have um, just after the Weinstein allegations uh, and and women started adding yeah. their names, basically. Yeah. Oh yeah, he did this to me. Or, Whoa! I thought I was alone. Yeah. Uh, very early on, Terry Crews. Mm. Um, NFL player, yeah. actor, nice guy, according to the yeah. media, yeah. came out and said, this has happened to me too, as a as a kind of, it. I think it, it adds a layer yeah. here that he's black. Yeah. Um, and it felt really genuine that he yeah. was sharing his story as a yeah. way of saying, this happens. Yeah. Yes. yes. You know, yes. I believe you. Yes. And I, I believe you because it yeah. happened to me. You know, and yeah. I didn't feel like him telling his story yeah. was a sort of. But what about male victims? Yeah. It yeah. was. It was always about yeah. if it happened to me, yeah. I believe it happens yeah. to all the women I work yeah. with. You know, it was, and I didn't. I didn't have that feeling of, yeah. which is, I think we'll, we'll probably take this up again mm. when we talk mm. about. Mm. The, the the emotional uh, emotional or, or my own emotional response um, 
as I've sort of been going, following the story, looking at my Facebook feed, talking to friends and often talking to male friends about this, um, who in some ways share the, the emotional response, which is there's there's a difference between knowing on an intellectual level that, you know, rates of sexual abuse are, and harassment are, you know, whatever the percentage is. So chances are, um, if you are a woman, you probably, you're likelier to have been, to have experienced something unpleasant at some point than not. There is a difference as a, as a cis straight man between knowing that and the emotional affective response of seeing one after another woman you know putting the hashtag MeToo on, on their Facebook status and you, you go down your timeline and another one and another one another one has said something deeply about something deeply disturbing and traumatic that has happened to them. And what you end up feeling, or certainly what I've end up, ended up doing, and this, uh, I've, as I said, I've spoken to, to male colleagues about this, male friends about this as well, which is you go back through your life and try to identify moments where you either you thought you did something that you now think of as inappropriate. I have to say without, you know, this is not, I don't think this should be remarkable in any way, but I don't think I can identify a moment where I did anything that I, I would, I, I personally would class as inappropriate. Obviously that might differ for people I was acting or people I was with at the time but there are moments when you feel you should have spoken out about someone else's behavior and you didn't and I think whatever the uh the you know problematics of social media trial by social media and we'll come back to a lot of this in the next episode um the sense that this is happening that this is encouraging, forcing, demanding men to reconsider the, the way they are in the world might lead to something better. Yes, it's interesting um, how you talk about the distinction between that and the fact that the, the social media feed in Me Too in particular yeah. has allowed you to overcome a certain cognitive dissonance hmm. around... Hmm knowing that it happens, yeah. and knowing that it happens to people that you interact exactly. with on a daily basis. And it's it's not a cognitive dissonance that I'm proud of. It's it's it's, it's a cognitive dissonance that is problematic. Um, but it is also... I don't think I'm the only person who has experienced that cognitive dissonance as a dissonance because of the media campaign. Yeah, there's. I read an, an interesting, um, by accident because of mm. social media, an interesting, very conservative mm. post written mm. by a very conservative woman who I disagree with on fundamentally every issue. Mm. Um, but this commentator has been sexually assaulted um, in a very horrific and violent way. And her newsfeed and her world uh, was particularly problematic for her. And so she wrote an article mm. about what it's like to be sexually assaulted. And she says in this article, oh, it's a blog post, really. She says, you cannot know what it's like mm. because it hasn't happened to yes. you. And I hope that it never happens to you, yeah. but you can't know what it's like. And therefore you can't recognize that you can't say 
I should have done something different. She should have done something different. You should have done something different. What does it matter that Harvey Weinstein allegedly jacked off into a plant pot? That's funny. You can't really imagine just how horrific and bizarre and awful and demeaning that might feel unless it actually happens to you. Yes, but... I mean, you can imagine it, but you can't know. But you don't need to know what it must be like to be a decent human being. Well, yes, because the social contract relies on all of us thinking that it's probably really horrible to be treated badly, and therefore we don't treat other people badly. Well... That's the idea. That's the idea. (laughs) Many of us don't, but probably more of us do. Um, I, I mean, I think that's... I can I can see the argument, but it's also... It sort of reminds me a little bit of something you said in an earlier episode about um, solidarity between identity groups and the parallel track thing. You know, if, if it is... If the... If there is this unbridgeable gap between someone who has experienced sexual assault and someone who hasn't... How... How... Should I wait until I've something like that has happened to me before doing anything? Yeah. Or does it mean then that the only people who can make any sort of significant changes have mm. to be people who have been yeah. assaulted? Which, of course, means by very definition, because they're often people who've had their power taken from them. Yes. Aren't in a position... To make any structural institutional change. Yes. That's not how laws get made. That's not yes. how yeah. social change and political change happens. Yes. It relies on empathy. And, and and I guess that's the problem with the with I mean that this is a problem with the whole notion of the ally anyway, and we've we've touched on this in, in previous episodes. But specifically with um, notions of or, or, or incidents of sexual abuse, sexual harassment, inappropriate but technically consensual behavior, non-consensual behavior, and th- that entire spectrum, which is uh, at what point, how do you define what your role is as an ally? Yeah. As as an ally who is not, who and as an ally who is cis, straight, male, I'm talking about myself, um what how do you define how do you uh uh decide what is an appropriate way to respond as as an ally when by the very nature of these incidents you're often dealing with rumor or hearsay or second third hand stories where either you act on 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 the rumor in in whatever way you deem appropriate, or you wait for, quote-unquote, more solid evidence, as it were. But then what demands are you making of the marginalised, vulnerable person who is the victim in that situation if you are constantly saying, I will not act until you give me some solid evidence? Some evidence. What's interesting in in the Hollywood context... Um, is that there's there's burden of proof on survivors. Yes. 
But there's also this interesting kind of audience question. So, in a sense, you're talking about allyship. Yeah. But there's also this kind of, these stories about all these women who've come into contact with people like Harvey Weinstein, but not just Harvey Weinstein. And they they have these ways of, like, talking to each other about it and like warning each other or finding common ground or like a a way of working through a shared experience or whatever it is. And, and that audience often, you know, it's, it's women who are more prominent are in positions of power. There are more women in positions of power now who, and, and they kind of span the spectrum there's assistants there's people who worked for him there's yeah. actresses there's you know yeah. there's people who were affiliated with him but not yeah you know journalists and you know it's it's weird yeah uh, and the scale of it is like horrif- horrifically impressive but they all have a kind of a certain amount of allyship yes amongst themselves yes. and then you move into a different sort of arena in Hollywood yeah. and you, you leave those stories behind. Yeah. You've had your kind of informal group therapy yeah. together and you then move into the space of the academy or yeah. a film set or yeah. whatever it is. And the the audience changes yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. And I think for women, that's just an experience that we have. Yeah. Um, and I think a, a lot of people who aren't cis heterosexual women, but who have been subjected to abuse yeah. for gender reasons yeah. or for yeah. sexuality reasons, you yeah. know, ident- yeah. certain kinds of identity that they also mm. talk about this. You move out of your, your community yeah. and you go into the world and you just, you transition. Yeah things change a little bit. And for us, that's just like, whatever. Yeah. That's the story. That's how it works. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it's our lives. Yeah. Like there's, it's, you don't really comment on it. You don't really think about it because yeah. that is just how it works. Yeah. But what's fascinating is how you and other cis straight men that yeah. I know yeah. are really now into like, when should I have stepped up? When yeah. should I have said something? Yeah. When should I have, have done this? Yeah. When should I have done that? And that's something that we have not yeah. seen. Yeah. Uh, in. And that's a success, I think, of the of the hashtag Me Too campaign. Yeah, and some of the debate yes. that's gone on yeah. around Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. I mean, it's it's far too early to say whether that success leads to actual change, but in in convincing men that this is their problem that that they we have to own, and it is up to us to to put the work in to 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 modify our behavior where we, where it needs to be modified uh and to do this in a sort of public conversation is new yes i think i wonder if this isn't i mean partly there's this is going to lead to many things it's it will be a cause of many things but i wonder if this is also a symptom yeah in the sense that these changes have already started started to happen certainly questions around um representation Mm. in film and television Mm. are more prominent Mm. um after the the kind of late 90s whitewashing of tv and movies there's now Mm. 
a real kind of popular demand to yeah. see a movie that's cast with an yeah. actual representative yeah. group of people. Yeah. Um, stories about people who aren't just middle class mm. white people who live in New York. You know, that, yeah. that there is an audience for such a thing and therefore there's both an economic and also a social and cultural shift yeah. in terms of what people want yeah. to watch. As well as, and this comes with the change in technology, this comes with the rise of streaming technologies, a mm. real transition in terms of power and yeah. where where money flows in terms of getting your entertainment mm. made. And there are more women yeah. and there are more black artists yeah. as part of that change. Yeah. And it I wonder if, if Weinstein, it's not just his waning star, but also yeah. there this is a symptom of changes that are already starting to happen. And there are certain people. Yeah. Uh, cough, cough, Matt Damon, cough, yeah. cough, who are getting left behind. Yeah. Yeah. But I wonder if that is... I don't think that is not the case. I think I do agree with you, but I do come back to this, you know, even in a in a world where one likes to think that we are we, the men, men like me, men I spend time with, men I hang around with, we have, I think it would be fair to say, a certain kind of complacency about that we are not like those other evil, abusive men. Um, and we are now checking ourselves and checking our privilege and acting differently. But then the the, the really uncomfortable question is, why did it take us so long? In other words, if it goes back to that cognitive dissonance point, right? The fact that none of this is a surprise, none of this is new. Everyone knew that this was happening. So why does it take a large number of women to put the emotional work that is needed in order to publicly admit and explain and go into detail about really painful things that have happened to them? for a man like me to question my behavior. Yeah, is that, that a tipping point or is it... But if it is a tipping point, then why did that have to happen? Yeah. Why wasn't... And I'm speaking just for myself here. Why wasn't I asking myself these questions last year, the year before? Yeah. And I... Why weren't you? Why wasn't I? I don't know. Um, as I say, I don't... I, I'd, I like to think that A, I've... I've certainly never intentionally been inappropriate with a woman. I like to think that I am surrounded by plenty of women who would call me out if I was being unintentionally inappropriate with a woman. But I still haven't put in the thought work that I think I'm doing now in terms of actively looking at myself and the way I act with my friends, with colleagues, with students, and also the way I have or have not acted in relation to problematic and appropriate forms of behaviour that I've noticed. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting talking about this because I have a totally different perspective yeah. on it. Yeah. Um, be- because... I've been 
a woman my whole life. Yeah. Um, I have no other frame of reference. Yeah. This is, yeah, I mean, the, the stories make intuitive sense to me mm. from my own experiences and from my friends' experiences. Um, it's, it seems like a Yenoshit sort of situation. Yeah, yeah. To us. Yeah. And that's not to say that we don't find it distressing. Of course. We definitely do. But it is a kind of... Well, it's, it, I mean, the mundanity is almost more d- distressing, right? That this yeah, is and the, that is distressing. Yes. That For us, it's like, well, we've been saying it for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Why haven't you listened? Yeah. It's not like we haven't said it. It's it, not like Courtney Love didn't say it. It's yeah, not like Rose exactly. McGowan didn't say it. You know, you, you have examples of women yeah. who've been ostracized. Yeah. For saying it. You also spoke, we are talking before we switched the machine on, about how you find yourself applying different standards of behaviour mm. and sort of ending up being weirdly grateful if yeah. for a man who is acting decently. Yeah. I, well, I, I think maybe I was, was, I was pretty young when I started my PhD yeah. and I may have been a little bit naive. Yeah. Um, just because I had sort of self-selected, so I went mm. to women's women's university mm. and chose all of my close mentors and advisors mm. who were women. Um, so I didn't come into contact with a lot yeah. of yeah. a lot of men in positions of power yeah. until my PhD supervisor. Yeah. And so I never really thought that it was something that I would come close to. And so now at this point, I'm like, whoa, I'm really lucky. I'm really lucky that this is not, that I'm not telling a story about someone who's had a, a, a role in making decisions about my life and my, you know, my ability to continue my PhD or get a PhD or get a job. You know, there's my, my career hasn't hung in the balance based on a decision that I'm coerced into making. And um, one of the aspects about the Weinstein story in particular that's really distressing is Hollywood's super exploitative for women generally. Yeah. Everyone knows this. Yeah. We all continue to give them our money, but yeah. you know, yeah. we know that they're horrible. Yeah. But one of the weird aspects about this is the disparity between how men's careers and women's careers yeah. are framed and how women are, are often coerced into certain kinds of behaviors because they have to in order to forward a career and men when they are accused people are really concerned about oh what about his career it's what's this going to do to his career meanwhile a woman's career is you know deemed to be kind of dirty or it's something that makes her ambitious and that ambitious is that ambition is unattractive and insincere and um, it's not that it's not womanly; it's that it's it's that it's insincere, and it makes her a bad person. So, so bluntly, the equation is that if big name male Hollywood executive producer says to small time new up and coming actress, "Have sex with me, and then I will put you in a film," yeah, or like massage me, or yeah. come watch me shower, yeah. or anything. and. If, and if at that point she feels she has to say yes, then somehow it's her fault and she get, she deserves whatever's coming to her. Yeah, it's her fault because she yeah. wanted a career yeah. in that evil industry Hollywood. Yeah. How dare she yeah. 
want to make a ton of yeah. money being in movies. And in a career where it is not unheard of that, like, it wouldn't be uncommon for her to f- appear naked in a film. Um, uh, probably. All of those quite things. Quite common. Yeah. Until and, you have an agent and yeah. a manager who can yeah. write those things out of your contract. And if if she's prepared to do that, then she's fair game, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're willing to show your boobs on Game of Thrones, then, well. Yeah. Which is a really insidious aspect of all of this. Because, often, you know, where does the audition begin, right? The yeah. kind of the theater training that you get is your audition begins as soon as you walk through the door. And if your audition is for Game of Thrones yeah. and they say, take your clothes off, yeah. not not for any kind of talent reason, yeah. but solely because they want to see you naked, you have to do it in the, in, in the, in the sense that, you know, if you want the you job, want the job. Mm. and you say no, mm. you're probably not going to get the, the job. So it's this... Yeah. It's this strange aspect of Hollywood in particular. Yeah. And because it is such a sexualized industry, particularly for women, it's as if you consent to be sexualized by the media, you consent to be sexualized by directors, you consent yeah. to to be sexualized on screen. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. you consent to be treated yeah. as a sexual object whenever any yeah. man in a position of power chooses. Which is why that has that has been Weinstein's defense throughout, right? He's he's apparently contrite and will admit to everything but insists that everything he did was consensual. Yeah. And what then I think we are left with is the need to problematize the notion of consent. Yeah. Right? What 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 counts as consent in particular circumstances and how how and when do lines of power invalidate the viability of consent right the at what point do, do the power the power line differentials between the two people involved mean that it is no longer possible to talk about meaningful consent Which takes us to one episode next week. I can't remember what episode we're on. I can't remember either. Season two and a half. (laughs) Um, So next week we are going to be talking about um, many of the similar issues that we talked about today. um, Except in the case of academia generally and academia in India specifically. Yes. Cool. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please comment. Tell us your thoughts. If you disagree with us. If you disagree. If you have anything to add, make our our analysis more nuanced, as they say. Yes, please. And catch you next time. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode. I have been Hannah Fitzpatrick. And I have been Anindya Vichardry. You can contact me on Twitter at Dr. H. Fitz. And me at Dr. Anindya R. Our music was provided by the Agrarians, and this has been the State of the Theory. Thank you. Thank you.